You're listening to Sermon Audio from Jerusalem Church, an independent Reformed church in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Our expository preaching ministry is devoted to proclaiming the law and the gospel for the glory of God and the salvation, growth, and comfort of Christ's church. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at JerusalemChurch.net. Here's a message that we hope strengthens your faith and comforts your soul. Several years ago, uh, Andrew wanted to spend some of his money, so I took him to Walmart. And you know how this can go with kids. They, they see a toy, and they say, I want that. And then they see another toy, and I want that. And they end up wanting a lot of toys. And as Andrew and I walked the, the aisles looking at toys, something caught Andrew's eye. A Batman mask. And even more... A mask that talks. A mask that talks. He wanted this mask so badly. And, uh, and he saw the mask, this mask. And if, if the words, if I don't have them exactly right, it's close. Andrew said, if I don't get that, my heart will explode. <laughs> so in his, in his little boy way, he was trying to put his desire into words. Think about what you delight in. How do you express it? The beauty of a sunrise, the exquisite taste of choice food, the love for a spouse. How does one begin to express delight? Words seem so inadequate sometimes. I think we'd all agree that the apostle Peter experienced delight in Jesus In Peter's first epistle, he spoke of believers rejoicing in their salvation, and Peter says something that grabs our attention, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, listen to what Peter adds, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Inexpressible joy depends not on seeing Jesus, but on believing in Jesus or believing into Jesus. Central to inexpressible joy is, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, our Lord. I think it's fair to say that we don't always rejoice with inexpressible joy when we confess the Apostles' Creed. Reciting something profound doesn't doesn't mean that we're always deeply moved by it. But though our response to the gospel is always less than it ought to be, the gospel is the only source of true and lasting joy. If we're going to rejoice with the profoundest inexpressible joy, it's going to be the gospel that causes it. And we want to rejoice in the gospel more than what we do, but we can't manufacture joy. How does joy come? And I think it comes the more we understand who Jesus is and how he loves and serves us and the more we commune with him, commune with God in him. The increase of joy in Jesus, I think, is a process. A response that arises from drinking more and more by faith from the refreshing fountain of the gospel. 
Is it possible that we focus so much on what Jesus has done for us that we don't really focus on what Jesus is doing for us? I think. So my encouragement for you this morning is this. Rejoice with inexpressible joy for Jesus continues to save you every day as your anointed prophet, priest, and king. The more you know how Jesus continues to serve you as prophet, priest, and king, the more joy you will have in his love. Your joy is tied to promises God made long ago. Rejoice and trust God, for he promised long ago that he would send a Messiah to rescue you from your sins. Messiah comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means anointed. The Greek equivalent, Christ, also means anointed. God anointed, consecrated, and empowered men for offices and roles he sovereignly gave them. So a man tells you that his name is Tim Cook, okay? But when he tells you that he's the CEO of Apple, well, then you're impressed. Under Tim Cook's leadership, Apple has grown into a, hear this now, multi-trillion dollar company. His name is Tim Cook. His office is CEO of, of Apple. The success of Apple depends in large part upon Tim Cook's work as CEO. The Old Testament gives us names like Elisha, Aaron, David, what were they anointed to do? Well, the prophet Elijah's life was in danger. He was sorrowful, discouraged, and scared. And the Lord came to him as he was hiding in a cave and told him to anoint Elisha as his successor. God said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Here, a prophet was anointed by God to speak the divine word of God and to reveal the truth and will of God. In Exodus 28, 41, the Lord instructs Israel to have Aaron and his sons anointed and consecrated to serve him as ordained priests. Leviticus 8, verse 12 says, And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. So some men were anointed with oil, consecrated and ordained as priests of the Lord to offer sacrifices for the people's sins, to intercede for the people, and to even teach the people God's law. God was bringing a change of leadership in Israel. God sent Samuel to Bethlehem, to Jesse, to look for his anointed one because God had said, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Well, the Lord chose the youngest. And when David arrived, the Lord told Samuel, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Notice the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David when he was anointed king. So kings were anointed by God to govern, protect, and defend God's covenant people. So when we think of the synonyms anointed, Messiah, Christ, we ought to think of God choosing, anointing, consecrating, and ordaining prophets, priests, and kings to serve his covenant people in various ways. 
Now, God promised the anointed one. For example, Isaiah 61 verse 1 is messianic and says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Psalm 45 is another example. And verses 6 and 7 are striking. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And among the messianic prophecies are some specifics. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, God proclaimed to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and shall, he shall speak to them all that I command him. God would raise up the prophet of all prophets. Psalm 110 is messianic and says, The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. God would raise up the priest of all priests. Indeed, a royal priest. And then in 2 Samuel 7, the Lord promised David, I will raise up. Your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. God would raise up the king of all kings from the line of David and this king would reign and rule forever and ever and this king would be God's son. Long ago, God promised an anointed one, a savior, who would save his people from their sins by his work as the preeminent anointed prophet, priest, and king. Christ is the office and the explanation of how the savior saves. Your joy depends then on God fulfilling his promise. Rejoice and trust God, for he promised long ago that he would send a Messiah to rescue you from your sins. Let's get more specific. Rejoice and trust God, for he ordained and anointed his son Jesus as the Christ for your ongoing benefit. My dad reads uh, from Luke 2 every time that we get together every year. Uh, we get together for Christmas. The shepherds were in the field uh, keeping watch over their flocks, an angel appeared. The shepherds were terrified, rightly so. Hear what the angel told the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. I bring you gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Savior is the anointed one. When Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on his human nature and remained on him. In Acts 10.38, Peter preached that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. As Irenaeus said, the Father is the anointer, the Son is the anointed, and the Holy Spirit is the anointing. God anointed his Son with the Holy Spirit and with power. Time passed, and Peter came to believe saying to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Others heard Jesus and thought, this is the Christ. Demons knew that Jesus was the Christ. Jews demanded, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. To which Jesus responded, I told you. And you do not believe. Martha, grieving the death of her brother Lazarus, confessed to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When interrogated by the high priest, Jesus himself affirmed that he is the Christ. After the resurrection, Jesus told the unsuspecting disciples on the road to Emmaus, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then as Luke uh, says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then later, while the disciples met and heard about this encounter with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, Jesus came to them and Luke records that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And as the Christ, Jesus ordained and anointed and sent his apostles to preach the gospel throughout the world. In Acts 2.36, Peter preaches, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The gospel of John was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, is the Christ who is uniquely anointed and ordained to save his people through his prophetic, priestly, and kingly work. Luther, Shakespeare, Einstein, Lincoln, Disney, Jordan. Why do we know these names? Because of their work. His name is Jesus, and his office tells you about his prophetic, priestly, and kingly work, and that work benefits you every day. How does Jesus save and serve you every day as your anointed prophet, priest, and king? And the more you understand the answer, the more comfort and peace and rest and hope and joy you will have in knowing that he continues to love and serve you every single day. So then... Rejoice and trust in the word of Jesus the Christ, for he is your omniscient prophet. Acts 3 reveals that Jesus is the prophet of all prophets, promised long ago in Deuteronomy 18. And you might recall that on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Father said of Jesus, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. To him. John 1 explains that Jesus is the Word that became flesh and dwelled among us. It says the Word is the Son from the Father and that He is full of grace and truth. Verse 18 adds that He has made the Father known. Jesus, God's Son, is God's Word, God's message, God's self revelation in human flesh. Just listen to how Jesus spoke about His. His prophetic office, Jesus said to the Jews, 
He who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. He said, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. He told all his disciples in the upper room the night before his crucifixion, I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Still in the upper room, Jesus prayed to his father, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And that same night, his disciples said, we know that you know all things. After the resurrection, when Peter was reinstated, Peter said, Lord, You know everything. Jesus is the omniscient prophet God sent to declare salvation and the way to God to declare that he alone is salvation and life. And salvation and life come through listening and responding to him, the Christ. Dear saints, Hebrews Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, it pulls all of this together, stating long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The apostle Peter was right then to say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So how does Jesus continue to serve you, to continue to save you? Well, he gives you the words of eternal life in his written word. He gives you his spirit to understand his written word. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Jesus continues to save you in the sense that as your prophet, he sustains and sanctifies and strengthens you by his word and spirit. And scripture explains that Jesus Christ gives his church anointed shepherds and teachers to proclaim the word of Christ. He's been doing it throughout history. When we gather, dear church, think through the profound thing that is happening here. Jesus, our omniscient prophet, is saving, sustaining, sanctifying, and strengthening us by his spirit-anointed preaching. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. In Ephesians 5, Paul mentions Christ loving his church like a husband loves his bride, loving the church and giving himself for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, or by the word, as Calvin understood it. This appears to me to mean Christ works by the word and sacraments to make his people holy. Jesus does not save you and then leave it up to you to fend for yourself the rest of your life. Hey, I got you saved, but now I was on your shoulders to complete the process. Jesus saves you, and then he continues to save you as he gives you himself through the word and sacraments ministry of the church. Take comfort that Jesus 
is entirely committed to your complete and final salvation through his word and sacraments. That he gives you what your soul needs to make it to final salvation. Rejoice and trust in the word of Jesus the Christ, for he is your omniscient prophet. So listen to him. He is also your priest. Rejoice and trust in the intercession of Jesus the Christ, for he is your everlasting priest. Priests were anointed by God to represent the people before God, to offer sacrifices for the people's sins, and to intercede for the people, and to even teach the people. The distinguished high priest, um, he entered the holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement to offer this great sacrifice for the sins of the people. In 1 Samuel 2, verse 35, God promised this, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Now, this prophecy refers to Zadok. However, priests were typological of the priest of all priests. Psalm 110 verse 4 says, Of the Messiah, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And in Hebrews 5 and 7, this prophecy is applied to God's son, Jesus. Hebrews 4 verse 14 confirms, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Folks, you only need one priest. You need the priest Jesus the Christ. Jesus is that priest that you need. Now what does Jesus do for you as your high priest? First, we have to understand that he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He is both the priest who offered the sacrifice, which satisfies God's wrath and atones for sins. He is also the sin-atoning sacrifice offered to God for the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14 explains, but when Christ appeared as a high priest, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Hebrews 10 verses 10 through 14 adds, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And Hebrews 9.24 says that right now, Jesus is in heaven appearing in the presence of God on your behalf. Romans 8.34 says that Jesus who died and was raised is at God's right hand. And what is he doing? He's interceding for you. 
his people. Now, what does this mean? Well, 1 John 2, verse 1, explains that Jesus is our advocate with the Father. Jesus is himself our defense, is our righteousness, is our justification, and is our reconciliation before the Father. Your sinus explained that because of Jesus' ongoing intercession, the Father continues to receive us into his favor. The Father continues to apply the merits and the benefits of Jesus, our priest, and sacrifice. Your sinus explained as Jesus prays for us, as he intercedes for us, he is heard on our behalf, and all that he asks, we receive. Additionally, your sinus made it clear that as Jesus intercedes for us, the sacrifice of his life and the benefits of his work are continually applied to us. See, it's not just that Jesus died for you on the cross. Jesus now lives for you and intercedes for you so that all the benefits of redemption that he achieved for you as the Christ are actually applied to you as you remain in God's favor. Hebrews 7 verse 25 explains that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is not idle. Jesus lives. He's alive to make intercession for you and he's still saving and serving you as your priest. Now it's common, it's very common for Christians to really wrestle with and struggle with the assurance of salvation. I have wrestled with this. Maybe you have too. And maybe part of our struggle is that we don't know where to look for assurance. We tend to look to ourselves. Am I doing enough? Am I persevering enough? We look inside, wrong place. Here's your assurance. Your high priest has anointed you with the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 21 and 22, that God has anointed us and put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. As Ephesians 1, 4 explains, a guarantee of our inheritance. Jesus and his gift of the spirit are your assurance. So rejoice and trust in the intercession of Jesus the Christ, for he is your everlasting priest. Jesus is also your anointed king. Rejoice and trust in the governance of Jesus the Christ, for he is your sovereign king. Now, I I read a portion of 2 Samuel 7 where God promised David a son and promised to establish his throne, uh, the throne of his kingdom forever. God's people expected this Messiah king from the line of David now, around Christmas time, we, we think about Bethlehem, and sometimes we sing about Bethlehem. Well, the prophet Micah said long ago, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Matthew 2 applies Micah 5 to to Jesus the Christ born in Bethlehem. The the prophet Zechariah linked the coming of this 
this precious royal son to the great salvation and joy of God's people. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Salvation and kingship are linked. Matthew 21 explains that Jesus fulfills this messianic prophecy. Jesus is the king of all kings who brings salvation to all of his people. When the angel visited Mary and spoke of of this head-scratching but supernatural conception, he shared something with Mary that's integral to your comfort and your peace and your joy and your assurance in Jesus. The angel said this, and behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, is reigning now and will reign forever as king. But how does he continue to serve you as your anointed king? Well, you, I think it probably begins with understanding the truth of Matthew 28, 18, that Jesus possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus, your anointed king, you have to hear this, has complete and utter authority over you. And this is a good thing. This is not a bad thing. This is the best thing of all. He has authority over us. But how does Jesus, your king, authoritatively govern, defend, and protect you? And this is an important question that Westminster Larger Catechism 45 answers. I want you to listen to the whole thing, and then then I'll explain. How does Christ execute the office of a king? Good question. Answer. Christ executes the office of a king in calling out of the world a people to himself and giving them officers, laws, and censures by which he visibly governs them in bestowing saving grace on his elect, rewarding their obedience and correcting them for their sins, preserving and supporting them under all their temptations and sufferings, restraining and overcoming all their enemies and powerfully ordering all things for his own glory and their good, and also in taking vengeance on the rest who know not God and obey not the gospel. Okay. As anointed king, Jesus continues to save his people by gathering, defending, and preserving them for himself by his word and spirit. As anointed king, Jesus also gives his people officers, laws, and censures, by which he, the Christ, visibly governs his people. Jesus governs you through elder shepherds that he anoints, appoints, provides, and equips to lead and care for you. And this connects to Steve, thanks for preaching, this connects to what Steve was preaching two weeks ago. Jesus governs his people through ordained and anointed guardians. Now, folks... This is why membership in a local church is important. Submitting to elder shepherds in a local church 
is submitting to Christ your king who loves and serves you through the officers he ordains, appoints, and provides. Being a a member of a local church is being under the authority and governance of Christ the King administered through elder shepherds. Church discipline is not only a mark of the true church, it's a means through which Jesus, your King, defends and protects you. Now this is... Also, why we only want to serve the Lord's Supper to baptize people who are submitted to the elder shepherds that Jesus provides them through membership in their local church. Someone not submitting to the governance of the king should not be admitted to the king's table. The king greatly blesses those who submit to his benevolent governance provided in the church. Wonderful blessings. So as your anointed king, Jesus, you have to understand how he is ministering to you as king. He governs you by his word and spirit, preserves and defends you against the enemies of your flesh and the devil and the world by his spirit working in you. He conquers and overcomes all of his and your enemies and grants you all the gifts of redemption that he achieved for you while using the authority and governance of his church to keep you safe and secure in the redemption that he obtained for you. There there is a, a significant problem among professing Christians today. It's not a small problem. They don't want to submit to elder shepherds in a local church. Even though their king demands it of them. Now, maybe because they've been hurt or struggled to forgive, but for whatever reason, some professing Christians struggle with spiritual authority over them. They're suspicious of how their anointed king has chosen to govern them, so they never submit to his governance, administered through ordained, appointed, and equipped officers in Christ's church, the local church. And I don't think they really understand how Jesus continues to save, sustain, sanctify, and strengthen his people as the Christ. I don't think they understand his ministry. They believe Jesus is the Christ. Oh, they will will proclaim it and sing it, but then they reject the prophetic, priestly, and kingly ministry and don't joyfully place themselves under his governance in his church, and they are greatly and negatively affected by what I would call their insubordination. As much as we struggle with authority, it's in me, it's inside of you, I just have to start bringing up politics. And we will all, very readily, it'll come out. How much we don't like authority. Kids, I just have to ask you about your parents and how they're parenting. There's something in us that's against authority, but we must know, dear ones, that there is great comfort and peace and goodness and joy in submitting to the governance, defense, and protection of your anointed prophet, priest, and king. Now I end with this thought. Trusting in Jesus as the Christ means receiving his life-sustaining grace by faith so you can joyfully imitate him by his spirit. True faith is receiving the life-sustaining grace of Jesus the Christ through the means that he ordains to give his life-sustaining grace. 
We must receive his means of grace to receive his life-sustaining grace. Jesus uses means to save, sustain, sanctify, and strengthen you to the end. So when we confess, I believe in Jesus Christ, we're believing and confessing Jesus as the anointed one who serves us in the role of prophet, priest, and king. Why do we call Jesus Christ? Well, as Heidelberg 31 rightly explains, because he has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. Our only high priest who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and who continually intercedes for us before the Father and our eternal King who governs us by his word and spirit and who defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Folks, the name of Jesus is great because he serves you every day as your anointed prophet, priest, and king. Rejoice with inexpressible joy for Jesus continues to save you every day as your anointed prophet, priest, and king. So then, what does it mean to call yourself a Christian? It's amazing that people who liberally call themselves Christians, maybe they live in America. Maybe that's what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean when you say, I'm a Christian? And I think this is where many people are just simply confused. That many people don't understand what it actually means to be a Christian today. Well, what are you saying when you call yourself a Christian? And Heidelberg 32 gives a great answer. Because I am a member of Christ by faith, and thus share in his anointing so that I may, as prophet, confess his name, as priest, present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and as king, fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life and hereafter, reign with him eternally over all creatures. Christians are anointed with the Holy Spirit to do these things. Like him, you are anointed with his spirit. You share in this anointing to confess his name boldly, to, to present yourself to God as a living sacrifice, and to fight hard. I mean, really engage in the fight with a free and a clear conscience against your sinful flesh and against the devil. You are anointed to imitate your great prophet, priest, and king in these ways. So as you seek to do these three things mentioned in Heidelberg 32, never, ever, ever forget the gospel that you share in Christ's anointing. He gives you his grace. He gives you his spirit so that you have what you need to carry out your prophetic, priestly, and kingly office and work. Re rejoice with inexpressible joy for Jesus continues to save you every day as your anointed prophet, priest, and king. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we can remember that Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king, that as the Christ, he is serving us every day. Uh, he is so unique as the one and only anointed prophet, priest, and king, the, priest, uh, uh, the prophet of all prophets, the priest of all priests, the king of all kings. 
And so I pray that we would know and experience the, the unique ministry of Jesus and that we would receive his means of grace, the word and sacraments ministry and the shepherding ministry of the church through which, church discipline included, through which our great prophet, priest, and king, our great Christ protects us, defends us, provides for us, sustains us, sanctifies us, strengthens us, nourishes us, all these things, God, for your glory. So we pray that as we now have heard the, the gospel that uh, preached, that we would see the gospel in baptism. So thank you, God, for blessing us with your means of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, baptism is a means of God's grace. As Pastor Nick Botzig explains, the means of grace are God's appointed instruments by which the Holy Spirit enables believers to receive Christ and the benefits of redemption. Baptism is a sign and seal of the grace that God himself works. For example, baptism is a physical washing uh, with water. And in Titus 3, 5 through 7, Paul said this, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The Holy Spirit does the washing. The Holy Spirit does the pouring. The Holy Spirit does the saving. And you'll you'll notice that baptism is not something that someone administers to themselves. Baptism is something that everyone receives. So the meaning and comfort of baptism is God actually giving grace to the sinner. Uh, God washes the sinner by regenerating them and transforming their hearts. And baptism is God's covenant promise of grace to his covenant people, to those in his visible church. Baptism is a visual display of the gospel and a wonderful and assuring gift that God gives to his church. Christ gives us baptism. Why? For our comfort, for our peace, for our strength, for our continued growth in the faith. Baptism is administered only once, and yet it has daily significance as a reminder of God's covenant grace and promise to his people. Dear dear Church of Christ, Just as the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents, it is also our joy as a congregation to receive covenant children into our church family and fellowship. We know Jesus Christ's posture toward covenant children. How do we know that? Because he's told us explicitly in his word. He gives his kingdom to little ones as they were carrying even little infants to Jesus so that he might hold them in his arms and that he might bless them as the king, the Christ. Jesus said in Luke 18, 16, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. That's very, very important. What a striking example of Jesus' heart toward little covenant children. Jesus has that kind of heart toward Augustine and Mila. Let us hear our Lord's command concerning the sacrament of holy baptism. After Jesus Christ conquered death by raising from the dead, he said this to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In obedience to this command, The church has always baptized believers and their children. 
Now hear God's promise that are confirmed, promises that are confirmed in baptism. The Lord made this great promise to Abraham in Genesis 17, uh, 7. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Generations later, though Israel was unfaithful to this covenant, the Lord renewed his promise through the prophet Jeremiah. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Scripture teaches that when the fullness of time had come, God the Son came to earth to give pardon and peace through the blood of a cross, the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. After Jesus had raised from the dead, the apostles proclaimed, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Anticipating the fulfillment of all God's covenant gospel promises, Paul assures us, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. These are the unfailing promises of our Lord to his baptized covenant people. Finally, recall the teaching of Holy Scripture concerning the sacrament of baptism. The water of baptism signifies the washing away of our sin by the blood of Christ and the renewal of our lives by the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It also signifies that we are buried with Christ. From this, we learn that our sin has been condemned by God, that we are to hate it, that we are to flee it and must consider ourselves dead to it. Moreover, the water of baptism signifies that we are raised with Christ. From this we learn that we are to walk with Christ in the newness of life. All this tells us that God has adopted us as his children, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Thus, in baptism, God seals the promise he gave when he made his covenant of grace with us, calling us and calling our beloved children, our covenant children, to put our trust in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow him in obedience and love. Through baptism, God calls us and our beloved children to believe the gospel. Augustine and Mila bring nothing to God this morning, Yet they have been brought forth, they will be brought forth for baptism to receive a lavish gift from God. And we trust God to work faith in their hearts by the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a marvelous picture of sovereign grace.